0: If I keep writing, I've had more practice. Every book that I write is better than the last book that I wrote. I've learned something new.
1: Welcome to Queries, Qualms, and Quirks, the weekly podcast that asks published authors to share their successful query letter and discuss their journey from first spark to day of publication. I am your host author, Sarah Nicholas, and literary agent, Sarah N. Fisk. Chelsea Mueller writes gritty, twisty fantasy and thriller novels for adults and teens. She's best known for the Yalsa Reluctant Reader pick, Prom House, and her gritty Soul Charmer urban fantasy series. She loves bad cover songs, good fight scenes, and every soapy YA drama Netflix can put in her queue. Chelsea lives in Texas and has been known to say y'all. So please welcome Chelsea to the show. Hello. Hi, Sarah. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks so much for coming on. Uh, We're going to talk about your journey to publication today. We're going to start all the way back at the beginning. When did you first start getting interested in writing? And then how long did it take from there before you started getting serious about pursuing publication?
0: I feel like everybody says, I've always been a writer. I've always been a writer. Um, but, (laughs) But before I was a fiction writer, I was a journalist by trade. So I worked at... Alternative news weeklies, magazines, and newspapers for a period as my my real job. And when I left newspapers to go into marketing as a day job, because newspapers were a volatile place to be, um, <laughs> I really missed writing every day. I didn't realize how much joy and like just like the creativity that comes with that was like great for my mental health, and how much I missed it. So, I'd started a blog because also can't take a critic out of me, so i you know I went from writing about music to writing about books uh on a blog, and then just for myself started writing a novel or what what would be a novel? It was really short, and because of the blog, which was vampire book Club, it's still up it's there's not new posts because um'm Real, real busy, but but I did Vampire Book Club for a long time and got to know a lot of authors as a result of doing blog tours and reviews and interviews there with published authors. To the point where finally somebody was like, "Well, I want to see what you're writing." Okay, and then I started getting the nudge of like, "Well, why aren't you querying this? Like, this this Mm. is good. You should try and get it published." And I really hadn't considered it. I really was doing it because. I I had to, like I needed, needed to write.
1: Awesome. So how did you learn more about the publishing industry? Like how it works, how to query all that different stuff.
0: I think I was fortunate that my journalism background requires me to be a research nerd.
1: Mm-hmm. And so
0: I also had the connections to ask people who knew what was going on. So I knew that I needed a query just from talking to authors and then I was the queen of Google. I definitely sought out every different article. I still go back. Susan Dennard had a post on PubCrawl that's how to write a one page synopsis. And shh, don't tell, don't tell my editors, but every <laughs> single time I have to write one, I have it bookmarked. I go back and reread it. She like, does the, the one page synopsis as if she was doing it for Star Wars. Mm hmm. But sometimes I need the reminder of like how to do this. That's kind of how I started doing that. I started searching, found Query Tracker, which was a godsend to me who is also a data nerd and it lets you track everything. Mm -hmm. It lets you research everybody. You still have to verify it elsewhere. At the time I was searching for agents the first time I am on my second agent there were less places to look like manuscript wish list wasn't wasn't an option twitter was not what it is now well, it, it was a different place it was a different time i just i googled a lot i took every free resource i could i went to all these different agents agency websites and read about each of these agents, I was definitely the person in Barnes & Noble who flipped to the backs of (laughs) all the books that I liked to see who they thanked in acknowledgments Mm -hmm. and looked for consistencies there. Now you can find more of that online, thankfully. But nobody at BNN cared that I was sitting down between the stacks looking at acknowledgments pages.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So then what happened? Can you break down your journey from then to signing your first book contract?
0: the book that I shared with a couple author friends way back when I queried it, I followed all of the rules, I'm a marketer by trade. So I got 20 full requests, two revise and submits and zero offers.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Now, many years later, I can say, yeah, I get it. While I was waiting and I was so like, holy shit, everybody has asked for this book. It's gonna be amazing. And, and they read opening <laughs> pages and stuff. I worked on the next thing. Mm-hmm. And the next thing was a, a book called Cloud Nine. It's really so fun. Why near future sci-fi, romance and fighting and all the stuff I love. And I just focused on that. And I got to this point of like, I'm not even hearing back on these fools It's been a really long time. So, well, I'm going to query with the new book. It's been over a year. It's okay. It's okay. Like this book is definitively way better so I, I went out again and three weeks later had several offers for representation there was there was no sitting on the, the fence anymore I got the call which was fun I got to talk to different agents also fun I uh, had to make a decision less fun yeah. um, I signed with my first agent and we took cloud nine out we did we did a round of edits internally. And then she she shopped Cloud9, and it went to editorial at five different houses. I was so excited. And marketing said, we don't know what to do with this book right now. So I did not get any offers on Cloud9. Mm-hmm. Super, super fun. But I learned <laughs> from, from before that, uh, well, one, uh, I have to always be writing, or I'm not as happy of a person. So mm-hmm. I was going to be writing anyway. And two... Man, Eyes on Your Own Paper is the way to live your life as an author, and you're never going to feel great looking at what's happening with everyone else because those things are good things that should happen for other people, and your stuff will happen when it happens, and you can only control what you're writing right now. Naturally, while we were waiting, I was writing something else, and I was writing something entirely different. (laughs) I also just really love urban fantasy, and so I wrote a gritty, sexy urban fantasy for for adults. And I started working on it and I was like, I, I don't even know my, my agent at the time specialized in YA. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: I sent, sent her like the first, I don't know, maybe 50 pages. And her reply was in all caps, like, yes, do this, do this, please send this to me. I blasted through revisions on it. We took it out. It sold in six weeks, Mm. like within a month of, Of the contract, like we were doing covers, like that was the first thing we did was cover art. And all of a sudden, it went from like so long of nose to like, and here's a visual representation of your main character (laughs) and your world. And we're all really excited. And then I had to wait like nine months for edits or something dumb. (laughs) Forever.
1: (laughs) Yeah. It's time for the first cue of the podcast. Can you read your successful query letter for us?
0: The query letter I'm going to use is actually a more recent one. The agent that I sold my soul charmer books with moved from the agency and stepped away from doing the the direct stuff and focusing on foreign rights instead. Mm -hmm. And so we decided to find someone new and that's where I'm at now. So this is a query letter that I use for my agent, Naomi Davis, who I adore. So I I will read this bravely. So I say hello and then... Casual Conversations About Love and Murder is a 78,000-word young adult novel that pairs the complicated female friendships of Sawkill Girls with the never-say-die spirit of Veronica Mars. What would you do if your best friend died? What if she'd betrayed you hours earlier? Emma's nights are haunted by the twisted side of her friend's body in Stone Lake. Others in the sleepy town of Canberra slap an accident label on her death and call it a day. Emma can't. It hurts too much to leave it alone. Proving the drowning was murder isn't easy. The sheriff stonewalls her, her friends want her to leave it alone, and her parents are too busy bickering to worry over much else. Cole's mistrust for corporations and the government hasn't made him many friends in town, but his willingness to believe Emma makes him her strongest ally. Together, they'll dig into the town's past and their own to get to the truth. The accidents don't stop with one friend. Death creeps ever closer to Emma's door. Can she find the murderer before another person she loves dies? When the killer sets their sights on her, will Emma be able to make a choice that determines who lives and who dies? My adult urban fantasy soul charmer series is in development at Netflix. My previous agent has retired and I'm seeking a career focused partnership I'm a marketing executive at my day job, and I speak frequently at RWA chapters on leveraging digital marketing as an author. In other words, I am game to do some heavy lifting to boost the reach of publisher marketing efforts. I'm also up for being a debut again on the YA front with a pen name. (laughs) A synopsis and the first 10 pages of casual conversations about love and murder are included per your submission guidelines. Please let me know if you'd like to read more. I'd love to send you the completed manuscript. Sincerely, Chelsea Mueller.
1: Awesome. Thanks for sharing.
0: I will just add real quick that everybody gets their hopes up. While we went real, real far down the Netflix train, it's all on hold. So sorry. That's how how film options work.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for making sure we're not (laughs) searching on Netflix right now. So how has your experience been since signing that first contract? Especially let us know what things really surprised you along the way.
0: I think the biggest surprise since signing a first contract. I think it's actually true across the board throughout your career, is that the goalposts continue to move.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Like, I think there's this expectation that you get an agent and then you're in. Or you get that first deal and you're in. And there's always another bar mm-hmm. that you're gonna move to. Like, so I I had I've had more than one option happen. Um, Where we sold film or TV rights, or we did an option, or we made it really far, where we even hired writers and like there was a producer and everything was attached, and then it doesn't happen. So that's like my that's like my new like oh that's the thing I want. You know, there's always a another step there, and I think we as writers have a real hard adjustment from going from it's all about the creative output. Of this mm-hmm. is the story of, this is the book of my heart. This is the thing I'm creating. To this is a business and it will be treated as a commodity. Mm. Which is a good thing and a healthy thing. Like understanding that I was really fortunate with Barred Souls. That the cover is just bonkers good. It's for me exactly. It's what it is on the, <laughs> you get the vibe. But what if it hadn't been? Mm-hmm. You know, I get consultation on covers, but understanding that all of those things are done to market the book and make sure it gets the best reach, the best placement in stores. I feel like there's a steep learning curve to adjusting your mindset to, okay, we spent this time on the meat of the book and working really hard. And now we are going to treat it as it's it's an object and it's not this this thing we spend all the time on the inside and now okay here's the three words that we're going to use to pitch it and this is what you'll say <laughs> when you go to an event learning how you hold back the writer joy um, and maintain that <laughs> is important i think finding finding other people who are going through it at the same time like your little writer group of friends or community can be really helpful to remind you like, yeah, no, like all of us are like, wait, this is part of the, the process can be really helpful during that first year. <laughs>
1: yeah. It is time for author DNA. It's a quick round, just kind of classifications that we like to put writers in. Are you a panther or a plotter? Can it be both? A lot of people say that.
0: <laughs> I'm a temp post person, so I know my key turning points, but not how we're getting there.
1: Do you tend to be an overwriter or an underwriter?
0: Overwriter if it's fantasy, underwriter if it's a thriller.
1: Do you prefer to write in the morning or at night? In
0: the morning. It's new. It's, oh. it's, a, it's a mom thing.
1: When starting a new project, do you typically start with character or plot or concept or something else first? Character. Always. Do you prefer coffee or tea? Coffee. When writing, do you prefer silence or some kind of sound? Silence. When it comes to the first draft, are you more of a get-it-down kind of person or a get-it-right kind of person? Get-it-down. What tools or software do you use to draft? Usually Scrivener. Do you prefer drafting or revising more? Revising. Do you write in sequential order or do you hop around? Depends on the book. And final quick round question, are you an extrovert or an introvert?
0: Introvert, but I fake extrovert real, real good.
1: Now we're going to talk about the second cue of the podcast – what were some of the qualms or worries that you had on your journey and do you feel like they were realized or you overcame them or how did they shake out?
0: When it comes to worries for me, one of my markers of success or a thing that matters to me is like I want I want people to like my book but like I, I, like, I, I like critical acclaim. Mm-hmm. So, knowing that I did something that resonates matters. So I was really worried about getting like book lists to review it. I was really worried about whether or not like would it end up in Publishers Weekly? Like what I, like Library Journal, all of those mattered so much to me, which at the time I did not know that like every book gets sent to them. Like they may not <laughs> review it and they may not like it, but they all get sent. It's a pretty standard round. So for me, that was a, that was a win. What I didn't know then that I know now doesn't really change, I still like it, is that it doesn't really sell you like more books. I mean, certainly there's a visibility component and the library piece can be really good. It's been really nice for YA. I really can't thank librarians enough for all the love that they give Prom Promhouse. Librarians are listening, you can message me and I will make sure you have Prom House. Like I, I will help you out. So that was a surprise too, I think, is, is understanding where things are gonna land. I also think that there, there are scenes where I think I really push, where I try to push things a little bit far. And then it's never the scene that people are like, That's, <laughs> what is wrong with you? Although I will say, I think everybody that I've talked to has the same favorite murder in Prom House, which makes me feel real good. <laughs> it was also my favorite murder. So feel real good about that.
1: And now it's time for the third cue. Do you have any writing quirks? Is there anything about your process that you think is kind of different or interesting or unique?
0: I definitely do things in different orders depending on what kind of book I'm writing. I have been working on, I had been working on edging toward epic fantasy. And that was a very different process. It was multi-POV. It was really long versus a horror thriller, kind of like Prom House, because I know you're a true pantser. So you might understand this. I always know who the killer is, but I don't Mm -hmm. always know why they killed them until I start writing. Um, (laughs) And so I want to write in order when we're doing that. I leverage the icon feature in Scrivener to do a couple things, depending on the book. Sometimes I use it to track POV, which is like a normal thing to do. But I also like to use it to track pacing and enjoy making sure that there's an icon of a little skull every time there's a chapter where somebody dies. (laughs) Uh, There's a running joke in my writer group that when this fantasy comes out, I will have to do a chart, a bar chart, to show the body count increase in my novels over time. (laughs) Because even if they're not a horror or they're not a thriller somehow... There's just, there's dead bodies.
1: Yeah.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I would say I can't help it, but that's not true. I'm just, (laughs) I'm making a choice. So yeah, I like to use, use icons in Scrivener, not just for that, but so I can see, particularly when you're looking at something like thriller or horror pacing, where it's got that really snappy movement that I'm being mindful of the cadence of those jaw droppy scenes and the cadence of twists so that you have breathing room. So you mm-hmm. have a moment to come up. Yeah, so I like to use icons for it. So I always put in like little emojis, like custom emojis for everything.
1: I didn't know you could use emojis in Scrivener.
0: I will send you a tutorial <laughs>
1: okay. if you want. I sure. love it. When you were in the lowest parts of your journey, whatever that may have been for you, what kept you going and why did you stick to it?
0: One, I'm really competitive. I'm just going to admit that. So it's really hard for me to just give up on stuff. I know that I can write. I know that I can write a good book. I know that at this point, <laughs> this point in my career too, I also know that timing is a big piece. The more I talk with others, the more you listen to what others have to say about their journeys, which, hey, you're listening to this podcast, smart of you. The more it's clear that persistence and like perseverance in publishing is vital.
1: Mm-hmm. It's
0: the okay, that book didn't work. I'm gonna keep doing something else and keep leveling up because I think that's the piece is the that knowing that if I keep writing, I've had more practice. Every book that I write is better than the last book that I wrote. I've learned something new. I admittedly try to try new things in each book so that I make myself try harder. I, I like even this this last book that I was working on that fantasy, I remember sitting down with with my agent and was like, well, I don't know if I should do this. I, you know, I've, I've been writing YA. I've been writing these really short snappy books. And this is like meaty and it's an onion layer book. As in I put like Michael Bay layer on the top of like explosions and cool stuff because <laughs> I like that. But then underneath it's like, here are all of these these very Big themes and important things I want to say, and also like, can I put interstitials in this? And what if there's no romance? I like everybody knows me for writing romance. Can I do that? The way that that they looked at me and were like, "You have the talent to do this. You just have to want to sit down and do it. Like you're great, and push yourself. You don't need permission. Go write the thing you want to write. Do the thing you love." So I think that's part of coming back out of of whatever lows there are, and there always are, there's always, you know, a point when it's not, not fun. My determination to just keep doing things is probably part of it. Also, as previously discussed, I have learned that Chelsea doesn't write, I'm pretty grumpy and Mm -hmm. no one wants to be around me. And I do like some people. (laughs)
1: Okay. Do you feel like you made any mistakes along the way that you might like to share so maybe listeners don't make the same ones? I
0: certainly think that everyone signing new traditional contracts should be really mindful of their reversion clauses and understand the language around them, which is a long game thing, but there's a lot of (laughs) opportunity and nuance there. Where if you've moved on, or like, in the case of like my my Soul Charmer books, like the publisher really isn't doing urban fantasy anymore. It's been a minute. Where eventually, like, I would like to be able to to make those available in new regions or elsewhere. If I'd been more aggressive around that clause and understanding how it works early on, it would have been helpful. Um, particularly because I wasn't with that agent anymore. But the agency was still running it. So I didn't have somebody who was like actively like staying on top of it, being like, oh, here are when your your dates are for when you can ask for this or ask ask for that if they don't sell it. So in my case, they like they sold my audio rights after I could have gotten them back and sold them myself or done it myself. I'm glad that there's an audio, that there's audio books. Yay. It took them a while to get there, but we missed the window to be able to claim them and own that a bit more.
1: All right. You've done this a little bit, but can you share with listeners one of the most important lessons that you learned on your journey to publication?
0: Yep. I definitely underscore the perseverance. It's a standard thing to hear somebody, some author that's published say, just write the next thing. And it sounds like such a hand wavy, like, (laughs) we just have so many stories in us which you probably do. We all know that the the problem is never that you need a book idea. When you're at a party and somebody says, oh, well, I wish I could write a book. I just, I have so many ideas. That's not the problem. But it's actually genuine advice. The focus on writing the next thing, because every writing career is not one book. It's many books. So let's say the book that you are trying to get an agent with, you get the agent right away. It sells right away. You're still going to have downtime before you're gonna be editing mm-hmm. but also when you get to that point that editors gonna go so what else do you have you might even get on the call with the editor because maybe you maybe you went to auction you've got multiple offers you get to talk to everybody you get to do it again it's very fun and here are their vision for your book and all that but they may also go so like what else do you have you want to be able to have an answer but also as soon as that contracts up you don't want to just have the one contract or maybe you mm-hmm. I don't anyway, <laughs> for every writer in the history of ever, it's worthwhile to be working on the next thing for many reasons, for the long game and for helping build the eyes on our own paper, which I think can be a, a way to minimize the overall impact of imposter syndrome, mm. can help minimize the jealousy that, that is natural and inherent in this business.
1: Hmm. Yeah, and the comparison game.
0: Yeah, for real. All
1: right. I call this the acknowledgements portion of the podcast. This is not a business that most of us succeed in completely on our own. So who are some of the people who helped you along the way and how? There are
0: so many. I want to start with Dorinda Jones. Dorinda is the, like if you find borrowed Souls, she's the front cover blurb. She was so supportive
1: mm.
0: of my debut and is just a kind human being um so helpful for me, gave me good advice. Nalini Singh gave me such good advice, so supportive. There were a lot of authors when I debuted that definitely brought the elevator back down that I really, really appreciated. Kevin Hearn was incredibly helpful when when I got my first agent he was he was very. Key in that, There's so many. Ross <laughs> was was wonderful and helpful and kind. There were a lot of people who gave good advice and have just been generous with their time and energy. But it's such a long list, and I think it it shifts over time too. I've been to where like there were definitely people who helped me figure things out early on, and then it's it's been interesting. Now that I and I'm still, I mean, I, I have six books at. It's not like I, you know, have a huge catalog, but being able to have new writer friends who are going to debut
1: mm-hmm. and
0: being able to be like, what do you need? How can I help you? That's one of the things that I think is can be really beautiful in this industry because one, it can feel very solitary. So yeah. having people extend a hand is nice, but also like, despite our. I guess, instinctive need to do the comparison game. Like a rising tide lifts all boats. So it's good to have friends writing the same genre. It's good to have, you know, that you guys can share and, and tell readers about each other. And so it's it's beneficial across the board.
1: All right. Before you go, can you tell us about your latest release?
0: I can't actually, this little this is a nice little end cap. So get ready, y'all. <laughs> I just released Cloud 9. The book that I got my first agent on and it went to editorial at Five Houses. It's one of those books that critique partners, even from back in like 2014, who read it like way back when, would message me periodically and be like, Man, I just can't stop thinking about Cloud9. Cloud9 has had two offers that I turned down (laughs) from small presses. And so finally, I'm releasing it. I released it myself on March 7th. Mm hmm. It is super breakneck, fast-paced, snarky. Enemies to lovers underscore romance, but it's not super heavy on the romance. Like in a, not a lot of Mm on-page action, but like also kissing in the middle of fights. So it's the first in a trilogy, super fun. And then I'm also still absolutely happy and tickled anybody picks up Prom House. So Prom House is like a throwback to- R.L. Stein, Fear Street kind of stuff. Ten kids run a prom house for you know a weekend. They get locked in one by one. They start to die. Whose prom date could be a killer? And the reason I, I bring it up one is because it's fun and you can go buy it. <laughs> but two, right now there's a special edition of it in Five Below. It has a more red cover. It's very very bloody cover. <laughs> um, depending on if you're looking for a steal, I'll I'll mention it. If you have a five below near you, they're a US retail chain and you can go get it for five bucks along with a couple other really good reads.
1: Hmm. Chelsea, thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing your story with everyone. Thank you for having me. I hope it's helpful. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Queries, Qualms, and Quirks. You can find the text of Chelsea's query in the show notes, along with links to find out more about her and her books. If you enjoyed the show, I'd really appreciate if you'd help me find new listeners by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts or Podchaser, telling your friends, or sharing the episode on social media. If you're interested in supporting the show, go to patreon.com slash Nicholas. That's Sarah with an H and Nicholas with no H. And if you're a published author interested in being a guest on the show, please click on the home base link in the description or go to sarahnicholas.com and click on the podcast logo in the sidebar. That is, again, Sarah with an H and Nicholas with no H. Thank you so much for listening. I will see you next time.